0: We're gonna continue our series today. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, football season's halfway over. Anybody bummed? Anybody excited? Anybody's team just already eliminated. They're done. Almost, almost. I, I'm a Broncos fan. I feel your pain. Um, we're continuing our series today, but before we jump into work today, I want to start with a story, a visual, and, and there's something that we do as humans, especially young humans, I still don't understand. Uh, You know, we're high school, young adults, and, you know, what we love to do is we love to find a body of water, lake, a river, the ocean, and we like to find the highest rock possible, and we like to jump off of it. Doesn't make sense to me. Am I the only one? Like, we like to jump off. It's like, does anybody do that? Anybody adventure seeking? Yeah. Um, You know, and so I've done this before, uh, not like, I wouldn't say by choice. Um, As most, as some of you know, you've been here before, I am a little scared of heights, I don't do well with height. It's not so much the height that gets me, it's the edge of something. Uh, right now, standing on the edge here, I'm a little scared, you know? Uh, just being myself and how tall I am, I get scared just walking around. I wake up and I'm like, whoa, hey! <laughs> you know, I'm a little scared of There was one time when I was a teenager, there was this rock, uh, a, a lake that we used to go to all the time, and it was the lake, the rock that everybody went and jumped off of. It was the thing to do. And I would clap for people, yay, you're awesome. And one time I kind of got challenged to do it, and I, I remember climbing up to this rock and I'm climbing up and I'm I'm just building up this kind of like, okay, you've got this, Shane, you can do this. You're a man. You can do this and you know, everyone's watching. And it was the crowd around was the kind of crowd that you don't want to be embarrassed in front of. And so I, I'm getting ready, I'm building up this and people are jumping off in front of me and it finally gets to my time to do it. And I remember walking over to the ledge and I'm like, okay, I can't do this. And I turned around, and I saw the crowd. I was like, okay, I have to do this. And I'm having this battle in my head and I'm building up to this moment. I'm taking steps back and I'm ready to go. I'm finally, okay, we're doing this. And I start to move towards the rock and I'm moving as fast as I could at the time and I get right to the edge and I go to jump. And it's like my mind said jump but my body said, uh-uh. And I got to the edge and I jump and it's like half of me goes and half of me stays. And I just slide down the rock <laughs> all the way. Yeah, you know, I slide down. The rock and it, you know, it, The reason why I'm saying this is it kind of speaks to the, the text today that we're gonna jump into in Colossians. The text is really speaking to this idea of you gotta commit. You gotta either go for it or, or not. You got you At the edge of something, are you in or are you out? And let's, let's just jump into this passage. We're in Colossians. If you're following along you're in your booklets today, um, sermons around page 56, I believe, 58. I was close by 6 p.m. service. I'll get that right. 58. Let's start with Colossians 2, chapter 2, verse 8. It says this. See to it that no one takes you by cap- uh, captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition. According, uh, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Be careful, it says. Uh, be careful to not be taken captive. By this kind of thinking, this empty deceit or this human truth, Don't be taken cap- captive by this. And just for you to understand what's happening, this letter is being writ- to, written to a group of people that are living in a culture that it's normal practice to have a faith system and to add things to it. It's normal practice in this, in this culture, in this time, to have a faith system and say, okay, I'm going to take some of this, I'm going to take some of this, I'm going to add it to my faith. It's not even just that, it's the, the ruling powers at the time, when they would conquer another city or people group and they would, they would overthrow their governments, when they would take those people into their city or their, under their government, they would take parts of the religion and bring it with them. And they would say, it was kind of a way of the government getting around people being displeased. Yes, we've taken over your city, you're under our authority, but you can still have your God. You can still, then they'd be added to the temple and this is what's happening here. It's this mixing of religious practices and the Christians are right in the middle of it. The Christians who are followers of Christ, the ones who are proclaiming Christ, they're right in the middle of this culture that is about adding things to their faith. Now, in today's context, we don't have a lot of that. We don't have a lot of, okay, let's add this part of this religion. This, and let's be honest, there is some of that in our world today. Where we'll kind of take things. Well, I like, I like what this religion practices, so I'm going to add that to my life. I like what this philosophy is. I'm going to add that to it. There is some of that. But what we predominantly do in this idea of mixing and adding to our faith goes more in the line of adding through things to our faith that bring us security or comfort. When it comes to trusting God, and when it comes to trusting Christ, it's like, okay, I trust Christ, but I kind of need an escape plan if it doesn't work out. I trust Christ. I say I trust Christ. I sing the song. There's nothing he can't do, but I want to make sure if he doesn't do it, I have this. And we add these things to our faith. It's, it's things like this, like relationships, I'm not saying relationships are bad. I'm not saying that you you shouldn't get married or you shouldn't love your husband or wife. Please don't take that from this part of the message. But when we use relationships as a way to complete us, when when we we add relationships, saying I'm gonna have Jesus, Jesus is my rock, but my spouse is also my rock. Uh, My spouse is the one I'm building my life on. My, My significant other is the one that I'm dedicating my time to. When we add that, we're missing the mark. It can be relationships. It can be financial money. Let's just call it what it is. It's easy to say things like, I trust God with my future. But I I trust God with my future. And I also trust my 401K. Right? I also trust that retirement. It's like, if, if God doesn't work out, I have a backup plan. And I'm not saying that that idea of saving, I'm not saying anything that is wrong. I'm saying we try to add it into our faith. As a way of completing or making us whole is when we're wrong. Does that make sense? It's 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 this idea that says in the scripture that don't be led astray. Don't don't be don't be, let them take you away captive. It's interesting because let's talk about these empty philosophies. It's talking about this traditional thinking of humanity. Don't just believe something because they say it's true. Don't be easily, so. don't be taken away. Another translation in scripture will sometimes, when it says don't be taken captive, it will say don't be led away as prey. Don't be led away as prey, that the enemy wants to lead you away from how God designs you to live in reliance to him. Don't listen to all this stuff around you and say, I'm gonna be led into that as prey for the enemy. Makes me think of we have a we have a young dog. Dog actually just turned one uh, this week. We had a birthday party. Yeah, come on, come on, it's clap for the dog. Um, uh, she just had her birthday party. We threw a whole birthday party, cupcakes, the whole deal. And um, but there's something interesting about my dog. My dog uh, is getting better uh, and is a great dog, great dog. But one, it's there's been a little bit of a struggle sometimes to get my dog into the kennel at night it's like right when it's bedtime, it's time to go to bed. My dog, when I say go to your bed, my dog sometimes thinks that the bed is under my bed. And she will just go bury herself under the bed so I can't reach her. And she'll just stay there. And in the middle of the night, I'll just hear this tail, bop, 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 hitting the bed. And so what I've started, what, what's an option to do, if I want to get her into the kennel, what I can do is I can go to the edge of the bed and grab some dog treats. And I can put one right outside the edge of the bed. And her nose... <laughs> She'll get that first treat and I'll take another one. Come on, keep coming, keep coming. And then we throw one in the cage. She goes in, I slam it behind her. Gotcha. You're like, oh, that's silly shame. What does that have to do with us? The enemy does this to us all the time. When it says, don't be led away as prey in our faith walk, in our reliance of Christ. if Let's say right here, the center of the stage is where I'm supposed to live as a Christian. This is where God is calling me to live, is, is in this area of life. The enemy doesn't come and just grab us and take us way over here quickly. Often what he's going to do is he's going to give us little treats along the way. We'll start with little compromises. Okay, yes, I believe Jesus is the truth but I'm going to allow this area of my life, I'm going to take a step out of it. I believe the Bible speaks to me today, but this one's not for me. I I believe that I'm called to love people, but the world is so broken. I believe that Christ is everything and I should give my life to him, but there's so much more. And then I find myself just slowly drifting away. And And then I find myself over here somewhere and I'm like, what am I doing here? That's where I'm supposed to be. I know God's calling me to live in that area of life, but I'm over here. How'd I get here? Anybody ever had that moment? Where you're just like, how'd I end up here? How'd I end up in in this spot? And here's the thing that's just kind of coming to me in this moment. It's sometimes even when we're in the midst of something where the enemy's kind of led us astray, just like now, I'm a bunch, a whole lot of people, doesn't mean I'm in the right spot. Doesn't mean I'm in the right location. And the enemy will work us over here. And he'll get us to this place of just like, okay, now we're far enough away, we're easy prey. Because we're not living where God called us to live. We're not, we're, we've, we've slowly taken steps away from him. We've been captured by empty philosophies, human thinking, tradition, life circumstance, and we've moved. And what this passage is saying is, you know what? You gotta get right back to where God wants you. And that's between you and him, where your world is reliant on him. We're not adding all this other stuff to rely on. Amen? And then we jump to Colossians 2, verse 13. It says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of our trespasses by canceling the record of our debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. I wanna just break this passage. When it says you were dead to your trespasses, we have to understand this line here. You were dead to your trespasses. What this is saying is that your life before Christ, you were dead dead in it you are dead in your sin you you were you, are, you are captive to it can we get this mixed up all the time in our faith journey where we will we'll start our relationship with Christ and we'll walk with him for a while but we won't realize that this is not just that I'm on this journey with Christ and I'm becoming a better person Or I'm becoming a better version of what I once was. That's not what faith is. Faith in Christ is realizing that the old you was completely dead. And because of the grace of Jesus, you have been resurrected in him into a new creation. The old is dead and what? Gone. Dead and gone. We have to realize that before Christ, we were dead we were dead in our trespasses. We were sentenced to that punishment of sin in our life. And it was Christ that set us free. It, it's interesting when you read the original translation of this, when it says, have forgiven us, uh, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, the, the original Greek here actually will translate to the word grace. That, that we are were, we were forgiven by what? Grace. Grace. That we were dead, we were dead to our trespasses, we were dead in our trespasses, and because of the grace of Jesus, we now live. We have new life in him. And we have to be willing to put to death the old version of ourselves. Because if we're honest, we often try to, to have this idea of, yes, I, I've, I'm, I was dead, now I'm alive in Christ. But when something happens in my life, I like to go back to the dead me. If something hurts me in my life that it was from that old stuff, I'm going to come back to the dead me. We get so busy playing with what's dead and gone that we forget that we're called to live as a new creation. I got to this point in my life lately, I don't know about you, I had so much shame and guilt from what I was before Christ. My dad's here today. I had so much shame in my life for the trauma I'd caused my dad, for the things that I'd done that were hard for my family. And I would look back at him all the time. And then Christ finally slapped me across the face one day and said, stop looking at what I already took away. Stop looking at the thing that's no longer there. It doesn't just say it's dead and it's dried bones. It says it's dead and what? Gone. So I'm looking to something that's not even there. I have to look towards what God is calling me to do. Because those enemy little treats, those little treats from the enemy, he wants us to stay in shame. He wants us to keep looking back and not believing what this passage says, that we are saved by grace and and the trespasses against us. I love this. The record of debt that stood against you and me was nailed to the cross with Jesus. You know, there's a record of debt that we owed because of our sin that we deserve to pay and it's nailed to the cross with Jesus. I find this so interesting because if you really understand the crucifixion story of Christ, you'll find this even more interesting that if you know the story, Jesus is taken by the Jewish leadership of the time. And he's taken uh, taken into imprisonment by them first. But there's something interesting. He's not killed. He's not put on the cross by them. He's put on the cross by the authorities of the time. Why is that? The governing authorities. Why is that the case? Because the Jewish leadership didn't have the power to kill him. And they wanted him dead. So what do they do? They go to the governing authorities, the empire of the time, and they say, he's leading a rebellion. He's he's proclaiming to be the king of the Jews. He's leading a rebellion against your empire. And then reluctantly, the empire sends Jesus to the cross. That's why when we read scripture, we understand that when he was on the cross, the, the title above his head was king of the Jews. That was the punishment against him at the time. That he was leading a rebellion against the empire. And when we read this passage of scripture, that the debt that I owed the, thing, the, the sins of my, my life, the, the things that I deserve to pay for, they were nailed. The accusations were nailed with Christ. Just as his accusation was above his head, so was mine. And he took my place and died for me in my place, paying the price that I deserve to pay. Amen? How amazing is that? How amazing is that? That, that he took this place that I should have paid. He took that accusation. He took my failure and bore it for me. And now I'm no longer known by that accusation or failure. I'm known as son or daughter of God because of what he did for me. And when you understand this, it changes how we view Scripture. It changes how how we view Jesus. Jesus. He's not just some distant being that did something for everyone else. No, he did it for you and for me. And the more we personalize this truth, the more deeper understanding we have of the richness of the word of God and the impact on our life. Let's jump to Colossians 3 here. We're going to start in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. I think I said that right, which is adultery. Put to death these things. When I read this passage, what it's screaming to me, and I hope it's screaming to you, is that it's hard to live as a new creation when you're holding on to the old life. When I, it's making it very clear here in this passage that you are, you are made new in Christ and it's hard to live as this new creation when you're holding on to the old creation, the old way of living the ways of our flesh. Can I take a moment to speak to the believers in the house this morning? I just wanna say, I just wanna talk about this for a second. Just as the church of this time is adding philosophies to the faith of Christ, sometimes we become guilty of adding philosophies of cultural norms and acceptance of what is normal in the world into our faith. Where we'll say, well, it's normal outside. It's normal for them to do these things. It's normal. It's just, it's normal life now. It's not 2001, Shane. It's not 1990. That's normal. That's today's thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's normal out here. My normal is different because when I read scripture, I was bought with the price by the blood of Jesus Christ. I've given my life to him. I'm a new creation. And when I really understand scripture, what is normal out here doesn't matter because this place is not my home. This place is not my home. I am a passenger through here on my way to eternity with Christ. And when he, let's break this passage down into three main points. Write these points down. Colossians 3 verses one through five. First point is this. We need to seek above. We need to seek what's above. It says this in the passage. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are what? Above. Where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are of earth. What it's saying here is this passage is we are called to seek and view things in the world how Christ sees it and how he calls us to see it as followers of him. It's, we, are not, we are not supposed to as followers of Christ base on our life, on what is around us, but as what is above us. We look to Christ. You have to ask yourself two really big questions here. Who controls the standards of your life? Does Jesus control the standards of your life, the moral compass of your life? Who's controlling that? Who are you looking to to say what is right and what is wrong? Do you look at yourself? Do you look for validation from others? Or are you looking to Jesus who's at the right hand of God? Who's controlling that? And the second place is who decides the actions of your life? The day-to-day, the things that you do every day, who's controlling the actions of your life? Is it just based on what's going on around you? Is it based on what you want to do? Or are you seeking Jesus with them? It's interesting because when we really start to seek what's above, it will change how we interact with people. We can face a really hard situation and we can seek Christ in it and it will change how we react. I know some of you are like, okay, Shane, this sounds great. Ah, yeah, seek Jesus. What do you mean? Every time someone comes up to me and asks me something, I'm just supposed to pause and seek? Someone comes up to you and says, hey, you hurt my feelings. hold on. Still working. Okay, now I'll respond, right? That's not what it's saying here. Seeking above is not a moment that we do when it's necessary. We have to practice seeking above every moment of our life in our prayer closet, in every little part of our week. So when those things come up and we're on the moment how we respond, we don't have to just look up and wait for a word from God. We have the word of God implanted in our hearts and it comes out of us because we are in relationship with him. It's not about these hard pauses. I think sometimes we get this mixed up. And I have this all the time. I'll, I'll talk to people like, okay, I'll get back to you on that. I got to talk to God about it. That's, that's, we should do that. But I think the more we are connected with God on a daily moment-to-moment basis, the more we will seek above than we will below. Amen? Second part is this. We need to seek holiness. Seek holiness. For you have died and your life is, is hidden with Christ and God. Seek holiness. When you hear the word holy, I want you to remember this. It's calling us to live a life set apart. Seeking a life of holiness is not just about having a perfect life, never messing up. It's having the lens of life that is set apart from the rest of the world. That if this is where the world says and this is where Jesus says, I'm gonna stand over here. I'm going to be set apart. We can get so caught up in our relationship with Christ where we can get so merit-based with everything when it comes to being set apart. Where we wake up and sometimes the first thought that runs through our head is like, I hope I don't mess up to make God mad at me today. Or I hope I do enough good things to where God will be pleased with me today. Maybe if I serve him hard enough today or, or I do enough in his name, he'll bless my business venture this week. Maybe if I do enough and I do enough of these things, he'll meet me here and he'll help me. See, here's the amazing thing about the grace of Jesus Christ is it's not based on our merit, it's based on his sacrifice. It's not about how much we do or don't do, it's about how much he already did. And the last time I looked and understood scripture, we are not saved by karma, we're saved by grace. It doesn't matter how good I do or how bad I do. If I am a follower of Christ and I am seeking this life of being set apart, not perfectly, but I'm seeking it, that's what he calls me to do. I should seek holiness. And here's the interesting thing. When you do this, people will look at you different. I mean, I'm just, let's call it what it is. Living godly today doesn't fit. Living a life that is seeking after holiness to be set apart doesn't fit. In today's world, it's okay. Let me remind you again: as a follower of Christ, you're only here for a little bit. You're only here for a little bit, and we're not designed to fit here, because we're made new in Christ. We're being being designed to fit into heaven, to be with Him. It's and it, it changes how we view everything. When we live a life that's set apart, it's like a heartbeat for this whole campaign, for the One. Matthew 25 says, and the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Christ is telling the people here in this moment saying what you do for the least, the broken, the outcast, the one who's put off to the side, what you do for them, you do for me. And we live in a world that would look at that person who's too sick, too far gone, too caught up in their addictions, too caught up in their problems. And the world would say, okay, let's just keep our distance from them. Jesus is calling the body of Christ, the people of God to say, I'm not gonna keep my distance. I'm just gonna run in and hug them. I'm gonna wrap up, this is where God wants me to be. Because when I'm set apart, I live differently, amen? Last thing here, write this one down. We have seek what's above and seek holiness. And the third thing is this, seek what's inside. Seek what is inside you. Passage puts it this way, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death, put to death what is earthly in you. it's talking about here rooting out the things in you that aren't of God's will for your life. Root out the things that need to be rooted out. You know, I I don't love to do this, but I have to all the time. Anybody ever have to do weeding? Weeding's the worst. It's the absolute worst. It's interesting because when you weed, there's two ways to approach it. You can go in and you can pull the weeds out and get what? Out with it. Or the roots. Or you could take my approach. Where you just take the weed eater and, wah, 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 and done in two seconds. But guess what happens? Every year. Those weeds come back. And they don't just come back, they come back and they've spread because I've spread the seeds everywhere. And year after year and after year, my weed farm just grows. I didn't say that. <laughs> didn't say that. bring it back (laughs) year after year the plants I don't desire grow when I'm designed how they're designed is for me to get there and pull out the roots so they stop growing in us there's things in us that we just like to weed eat out of our life. I'm just going to take a break from this. I'm just going to pause for a minute. I'm just going to turn I'm not going to go to the club tonight. I'm not going to go drink tonight. I'm just going to t- I'm where where where. When God, Christ is saying, "Get in there. Do the hard work spiritually. Look inside yourself and weed it out. Pull it out." Get to the roots of it, the sexual immorality, the uh, the impurities, the passions of your heart that are wrong, your evil desires. And then he closes with this, covetousness and idolatry. This is why money matters, people. Money matters. It's a great place for us to look at our life and say, is there anything in me that is not following how God wants me to follow? Because when it comes to money, we can become so, just grab as much as we can. Hold on to as much as we can. Because guess what? It's mine, right? My kids do this all the time. I love this when my kids do this. They'll I'll be playing in the back room. I'll hear that they'll start off great playing. Yay, they're all having fun. And I'll hear these words. If you have kids, you understand this. No, that's mine! Anybody's kids do that? That's mine. That's my toy. And all the time I'm sitting there and I'm just listening, and I just want to yell, that's not yours, that's mine. <laughs> I paid for that. <laughs> did you go to work to earn money for that toy? What did you do to get those blankets on your bed? And then I think to myself, how much am I like this with God? Just, this is mine. This is my I've worked really hard for this. I've done so much to get to this point. This is mine, God. And God's trying to remind us here to root that out, to remember that everything is a gift to us from him. I, I think sometimes the reason why this topic of money and seasons like this, it can hurt, it can be hard, it's hard to wrestle with because the truth is, is there's something in us we have to root out. I mean, when I read scripture, it's interesting to me. This idea of mine. Mine. There's more, there's more passages in scripture that caution us on oversaving than overspending. Isn't that weird? There's more scripture that talks to us about oversaving and gathering than overspending, just spending on things. Because I think what God is saying to us and when I read his word, this is how I see it over and over again, that the more we try to protect and gather around and build structures around ourselves, the less reliant we come on him. The less reliant we need need him in our life. I'm not saying savings accounts and 401ks and, and all these things that you've built up over time are bad by any means. Please don't hear me on that. But what I'm saying is, we have to do the hard work of looking inside and say, Have I been putting my faith in that over my faith in Jesus? You're the only one that can do that. You, let me be honest with you, church. I've struggled with generosity before, I've struggled with it. And the more and more I lean into Christ, I realized that the struggle, the pain I felt, was because there was something in me He was trying to reveal. And the more I wrestle with him and go to him, the more clarity I get in my trust with him. Amen? I want you to write these three things down when it comes to money, why money matters. And when I'm reading this passage, why is money, why does the season we're in as a church, why does it matter? These are the three things. Number one, money is bigger than we think it is. Money is a bigger issue in our life than we like to give it credit for. Money is one of the things that I think we struggle with more than we like to give credit. Credit for. It's a big issue in our lives. Second, our eternity is bigger than our current situations. Why does money matter? Because it's a big issue in us. And it it, it, it matters because eternity matters more. The kingdom of God that he's called us to live for matters more. And the third thing is this. Our impact is bigger together. When the church comes together and we do things like this for the one and we say, this is what God's calling us into and we all jump in, just like in that rock story I said, when we don't just kind of tiptoe off the rock, but we all jump in off the rock and we're in this together, our impact is bigger. Imagine what Christ is going to do when we come together as a church and we wrestle with God over these things and we allow him to root out in us things that we need rooted out. Imagine what he can do.